0: That's indeed.com slash Blue Sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Blue Sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: All right, everybody. Before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, if you love the strategy of season long fantasy sports and live for the short term gratifications of DFS, then you have to try out weekly fantasy sports WFS on Owner's Box. Head on over to rotaballercom backslash box and sign up today. Weekly Fantasy Sports is the best of daily and season long. It keeps you engaged through live drafting and new multi-week games. Box will also be paying out users who bring their friends on board. Watch the real money rewards pile up through their first ever three-tiered referral system. Add friends, create groups, and rank up to, uh, up to elevate the trash talk and competition to the next level. But that's not it. Owner's Box will be matching your first-time deposit of up to $500 for any depositors through January 4th. Just head on over to com/black/slash/box and sign up today to claim your $500 bonus and join the new wave of weekly fantasy sports. Now, to this episode of Benched with Bubba. everybody to another episode of Bubba on the bat flip episode 71 we continue our reviews of our previews for the fantasy baseball 2021 season this week we're going to hit on the catchers for a brief minute and start off on some outfield stuff we'll see how far we get maybe we'll do some more next week maybe we'll call it good we'll go from there we'll talk about some listener questions and all that good stuff i am the bubba portion of the podcast on twitter at BD and my other partner in crime on this one you can find him on twitter at bat flip crazy toby how we doing my friend Doing
2: well, Bubba. We are doing a catcher preview review, uh, which I'm very excited about, as you can tell. Um, you know, catcher—the catching position—is by far the most interesting and fascinating position that we could cover. Um, I know a lot of, pe- of the position oftentimes gets a lot of criticism, and people say that they're not interested in listening to catcher previews. However, I think that catcher is the key. Uh, to success in fantasy baseball and so i'm very excited that people are watching and people are listening um, on the podcast because catcher previews cannot be topped
1: they cannot but we will try and um, people did ask questions on this they wanted the process and all that good stuff so we'll hit on it once again as we go through the catcher position we'll get your hot takes on uh I didn't even put real muto on the outline because I'm pretty sure he's going to be mentioned 45 other times between questions and everything else. And you're wearing the hat. You're wearing the Phillies hat. I figured it was for I figured it was for JT.
2: I know. I just posted that on Twitter. I'm wearing my Phillies hat for JT Rao Muto. Now, one of the things you might be able to notice, and this is one of the things that's really challenging about parenthood, is right here, there's a little crease,
1: and that's where my four-year-old
2: stepped on my hat
1: uh, i was gonna say sat on it but okay. Um, step yeah. stepped
2: on it i walk into the laundry room because they're all like kind of dangling there and uh my four-year-old standing on my jt Realmuto muto Phillies hat and i'm just like what are you doing <laughs> he's like i'm trying to get my own hat and i'm sitting here like but it's actually um, kind of cool I do, i'll try to limit the stories today but um my four-year-old for some reason well he has a mariner's hat and he's had it for a couple years and so he's super into the mariners and sometimes when i go get him um in the mornings like when i'm waking him up for to get ready for daycare and stuff he'll be like are the mariners playing today <laughs> and great. i'm like no not yet but, soon um, soon so anyway that's a long way of saying that as a result of his love for the mariners he destroyed my Phillies hat in his quest for his mariners glory he destroyed my Phillies hat but it still That's looks great. good, I think. So, yeah, we'll it looks see.
1: fine. I, I wouldn't have noticed it until you said something. So, I know, okay. but now you just can't keep your eyes off of it. Nope, nope. It's, it's usually the beard, but now it's the crease. <laughs> it's, just, it's just how it goes. But um, let's get into the catcher's position here. Like I said, I'm not going to put JT on the map. I think we've talked about him plenty. Like we established that when I actually think there's a question later on. So I'll hit on him again. Oh, really? But um, I, I don't wanted want to just, talk about him. <laughs> we already know where that stands. Um, but I wanted to talk about the next two guys because I've heard some interesting discussions around the industry, on the podcast, in recent weeks, talking about Salvi Perez, the second catcher, Will Smith is the third. For everyone keeping track at home, we're using Draft Champions ADP from February 1st on. So there's been 11 completed drafts at this time of the recording. Salvi's two, Will Smith's three. Salvi's going to pick 82. Will Smith Will Smith is going around pick 99 to 100. It's interesting, though, because Salvi's like the consensus, too. But I'm hearing a lot of buzz of people liking Will Smith more now. Where do you stand on this one?
2: Yeah, I'm firmly in the Salvi camp. And honestly, I don't think it's I don't think it's super close um, for me. That's not to say that I don't like Will Smith, because I think Will Smith does everything that you want a catcher, everything you want a hitter to do. He's got great plate discipline, makes a ton of contact, hits the ball hard, hits the ball in the air. But one of the things that I really appreciate about Salvi is the plate appearances. I mean, the plate appearance difference is going to be huge because I think the Dodgers are a very good team. Um, I think Will Smith is easily their best catcher, but we already know that Kershaw likes to throw to Austin Barnes. So that's one out of every five games where you're not going to have, where you're not going to have Will Smith behind the plate. And I think there's going to be at least one other pitcher that they probably match Barnes with. So you're going to get a 60% split for Will Smith and literally Salvador Perez. I think when he, before I don't think he takes days off, like literally I think before his eye injury, and it was an eye injury folks it wasn't like it was it wasn't a strained muscle or anything like that he did have tommy john a couple years ago but again not like a um not like a muscle injury or anything like that he didn't he didn't sit any games before and he didn't sit any games afterwards and so for me it's just the plate appearance difference is gonna be massive so in the atc projections you know the the plate appearance difference is about 80 plate appearances I would not be surprised if it is um, significantly larger than that because they have uh, Salvi with 122 games. Um, let's take a look back at some of his previous ones. I mean, just from like a pure um, you know, projections, equal value perspective, I have Perez as the 40th ranked player on my spreadsheet at about $23. And I have um, Will Smith as the 83rd. So about $16. So I think either one of them is a good draft pick. Um, I just think with Perez, I know I'm getting the plate appearances and he's never not been good when he's played. Mm -hmm. Um, He's always good for like 50 runs. I mean, incredibly consistent 57 runs, 52 runs, 57 runs, 57, 52. Um, And then you have RBI 79, 70, 70, 64, 80, 80. And in all of those seasons, Five hundred twenty-six plate appearances. Six hundred and six. Five fifty-three. Five forty-six. Four ninety-nine. Five forty-four. Right. So he just plays a ton, and I think that's when I talk about drafting a, a catcher high. Normally, the guys that I'm targeting are the guys that I anticipate are going to have a massive plate appearance boost, and so for that reason, I think I think it's Salby, and I think there's reasons to believe that he did improve. You know, he has improved as a player. His quality of contact metrics were the best that he has had. Um, You know, his exit velocity, actually 91 mile per hour. This is the second consecutive year he's had that. His barrel rate was higher than before. Um, He did uh, lower his launch angle a little bit, but the ground ball percentage is still 35.7%, which is excellent. Um, And there may be more power there too, with fly ball rate was at 37.4% last year. Um, but that's really because the line drive rate was higher than it's ever been. So I think that should, you know, regress down to about 21%, higher fly ball percentage reduces the average a little bit, but maybe an increase in the, in the pop. So I think there's, I think there's upside there. I think there's ceiling there. I think there's a super high floor as long as he's healthy. I still think that Will Smith is going to be very good. Yes. On a per plate appearance basis, maybe Will Smith is better, but Will Smith is also going to hit further back in the, in the lineup. You know, Salvi's gonna be hitting third or fourth in what is a fine lineup. Pretty decent. Right? Lineup. Yeah, exactly. It's not it's not great, but it's not it's not weak. So I, I'm firmly in the Salvi camp. I know that pick is getting panned pretty broadly. Um, you know, who, who would who would draft Salvi that that early in in the season? But, you know, for me I, I, I he's my most owned catcher. So Yeah.
1: Yeah, I love Salvi. And uh, we've talked about him many times like Pretty much every time he's played, obviously, last – or 19 because of the Tommy John surgery, he wasn't there. But uh, any season he's been eligible to play, I've always had him ranked top two or three maybe. And I have no reason not to have him two this year because, like you said, he's the model of consistency. And that's such a beautiful thing for the catcher's position because we've seen the wear and tear on guys and, you know, no batting average or this, that, and the other. Salvi does it all. He's just such a good catcher. Um, If JT didn't steal bags – there might not be as big of a gap between the two. Like there, there is, there is a gap still. Cause JT is, I'm not going to go that far, but the steals separates them quite a bit. But the biggest reason I want to talk about this is the, the kind of buzz for Will Smith. I've been hearing around there and it's nothing against Will Smith, but once that DH kind of got knocked out and there's still a chance, like I'm not going to, as long as expanded playoffs is in consideration, DH is always on the table, but I just, I don't see it happening once they start really playing spring training games. So once that got knocked out the table, his playing time went down. Like you said, Austin Barnes is going to catch at least once every fifth day. Um, there's going to be other scenarios where the Dodgers just move things around. They might even – I'm not saying Will Smith's a bad defensive catcher, but Austin Barnes is usually pretty good, so maybe they put him in late in the game. There's a couple of bats that get taken away from you. There's a lot of scenarios where Will Smith loses some love there, where Salvi won't. They'll DH him. like We've seen it time and time again. It's why you loved Real Mutual even more last year, because they DH him when he wasn't catching – that's what Salvi gets. So it, it was a. I wanted to bring it up for discussion. And honestly, one of, if not two of the next two guys we talk about, I would take over Will Smith as well. But that's just because of the scenario in place. And I wanted to make a kind of a. If we're going to hit on catchers, I want to talk about it. So the next two guys on the ledger here, it's Wilson Contreras and Yasmani Grandal, the fourth and fifth catchers off the board. I pick 130 and 131. So they're going right next to each other. It feels like it's. Once someone pulls the trigger, someone else goes, oh, okay, I need to get one of these top four guys. We're, we're picking grandall or Contreras, vice versa, right next to each other. For me personally, I have Grandal right behind Salvi. A lot of it's the DH situation. A lot of it's just OBP skills and consistency from Grandall, But Wilson Contreras, I think, is still sneaky, sneaky good. So um, what do you have for a Contreras versus grandall situation?
2: Yeah, this is when one that I stru- I've struggled with a little bit um, because – you know, generally speaking, I like grandall a lot more, but I think that the problem with grandall for me is, is the batting average. That's the one area where you're really concerned. And oftentimes when I'm building my, my teams, you know, if I've, if I've gone heavy early on starting pitching, batting is average is something I don't want to fall behind in early, right? Because when you fall behind early in batting average, you can't really make up for it and make up for everything else that you need to do in a draft. So I really want to be high in batting average. So I've actually found myself with quite a few more share, shares, um, or, um, having, having, having Contreras on my team in a lot more instances. Um, I think Salvi's my number one owned, uh, catcher, or the guy that I have the most on my teams, uh, Contreras is number two, JTR is number three, I think, and then probably ground Uh, or or probably Yadier Molina's in there just as my catcher too. But um, yeah, I think that's the major distinguishing factor for me. I think Grandal probably gets, you know, more runs in RBI, although I think it's going to be close. And I think he also has a slight advantage in home runs. I do think that Contreras may get some additional play appearances. The DH definitely hurts him. I definitely had in my DH when I was targeting him. You know, earlier on in drafts because, you know, the Cubs just don't have a lot of a lot of hitters. Um, But I could still see an instance where they try to get his bat in there. Um, They also have a crap outfield. (laughs) So who knows? Who knows what will happen? Definitely a little bit of a dent towards Contreras. So now if I was drafting, I might lean Grandal uh, when it came down to it. But it would definitely depend on what my batting average already looked like, because I do worry about taking that hit. And I do think that Contreras has some massive upside. I think he's got some things going in his favor. He's got that really nice max exit though I want to say it's like close to 115. Um, you know, he just hasn't necessarily put it all together. And I think it, he could do that in one in one season. Um, and there's no reason to believe that this couldn't be that season. So, you know, back and forth a little bit. I think there's a reason why they're together, both in terms of ADP and, and where I have them from a, you know, a price
1: perspective. Yeah, they're both very, very close to me. Like if, I wouldn't argue either direction. I like Grendel. Just give me the American League with the White Sox. I'll take my chances there. That scenario, if I have to do a tiebreaker. OBP League, for those that play those, Grendel's really, really good. Um, nothing against Contreras. He's pretty good, too. But is very good in an OBP League. So keep keep that in mind if you're doing that situation. But I like Grendel as well. I think the average does suffer, but I think he kind of hit a low last year. I'd not I, I'd call that kind of his floor, if, if anything. So... I would keep that in mind going forward, but yeah, I'd take both of these guys, I think, over Will Smith, but that's just me because I'm pretty sure they're going to play more. Yeah, I I would um I would too
2: uh, for both of them probably, um, although I probably should have Smith in at least one place. Uh, Cubby Noel is asking dollar values for Wilson Contreras and Grandal. What I have for them, I have Contreras at about $17 and Grandal. So Contreras a little under $17 um, and – Grandal a little above $17, uh, 73rd and 76th in my rankings. So right next Um, to each
1: other. Yeah, right next to each other. Perfect. Uh, The next guy we're going to talk about I thought was an interesting topic, Dalton Varsho. When we first did our catcher's preview, (laughs) there was was talks of uh, him playing every day in the outfield and how great it would be to get this guy with double-digit steals upside, playing every day but getting catcher's eligibility and all this great stuff. And now every report you see or pretty much every report you see is Varsho will be starting in the minor leagues. Like That can change. He could have a great spring, of course. Things can change. But right now it looks pretty darn positive that Varsho will be starting in the minor leagues, which takes a massive hit to the situation. Um, He is currently still the – he's down – actually, he moved – he's the eighth catcher off the board still. Pick 153, as high as 123. I can't stomach that price anymore, Toby. I know you we were both fans of his. I think you have a few shares. I do not think goodness, but it wasn't by choice. Someone else just jumped me on him because I would have been on him. But what's your thoughts now on Dalton Varsho?
2: Oh, I actually have a change I need to make. My most owned my the catcher I have on the most teams is um, Wilson Contreras. Oh Contreras oh, yeah. is actually number one at six. Salvi, I have five. Bar show, I have four. <laughs> yeah, I saw that one coming. <laughs> uh, I mean, the thing with Bar is, yeah. I mean, I think it's a really tough pick to make now. I had him in a lot of early DCs with the news that he might get it because it is. I mean, it's it, it sounds a little ridiculous to say, but he's a league winning pick. Like there are few, very few guys that you can draft, maybe at pick one forty that are league winners, and he really is that. I mean. You know, the the thing that I would say is that his projections are currently for, I think, about 400 plate appearances. Mm -hmm. So he can miss a couple months and still hit that, you know, if he's playing in the outfield. Right. So not all is not lost necessarily. But a guy who can steal 10 to 15 bags and hit 10 to 15 home runs, there's very few of those in in fantasy baseball right now. And he's got track record in the minors, and I think he's got a pretty good average at every spot. He doesn't have a hot particularly high K rate. So I think that there still is hope, but I think it's 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 tough. It's tough for sure. I, I can't see drafting him where he's going right now, just with the uncertainty. Although I would say that I there is something to be said for a strategy of maybe drafting him and then grabbing like a, like a catcher two like jose trevino or mm-hmm. or somebody like that where you can kind of plug him in and you're just saying i hope bar show comes up in may or june because the combination of those two players could be something special still at the catcher position i think my challenge individually is that i don't know how good of a job i did backing up bar show in those <laughs> where i drafted him so i got to go back and kind of take a look at that and see but again he struggled initially but I don't think there's a reason to believe that he can't at least go 10 and 10 with with enough plate appearances, which is really what you're drafting him for anyway.
1: Yeah, and if you look at the ATC projections, he's, he's projected for one fewer game than Will Smith, uh, nine fewer plate appearances, nine fewer home runs, and 10 more stolen bases, same batting average. So it's pretty darn wow. close given, given. I that, like,
2: I like that Bubba. Thank you it, for bringing hope back to the conversation.
1: That's assuming though, that he comes up in May and that he should like, unless something goes horribly wrong in spring and you just can't figure it out in AAA. Okay. But you probably drop him once those reports come out anyways. Um, he should be up rather as soon. there's no real reason outside of something weird with Arizona to keep him down. So, um, I get it. It's just it's this situation. Like for a DC or something, okay, because you're gonna need like four or five catchers anyways. But man, like on a regular team where you like a two catcher league where you probably don't draft a third catcher to stomach another roster spot on a catcher, uh, you can't like wait till the mm-hmm. end. It's gonna be it's gonna be tough. Like I'm not saying this, It's not saying it's impossible. But we've talked about it. You know, you're you're churning and you're burning your your bench in a fab league, especially like a 15 team league. Now you have one roster spot dedicated to Dalton Varsho, a catcher that might not come up in Mike. Like you just don't know. That's a tough situation to be in.
2: It is a tough situation for sure. So, and the thing is, I mean, I think there's something to be said too for being able to maybe go after Christian Vasquez, you know, yes. with a with a relatively similar profile. I don't fully yes. buy into what he's been able to do, but you can't say that you won't probably get at least a handful of stolen bases from him, which
1: yes. is he's super, He's projected for seven. Um, he's in the past, He's he's been a decent steals guy. Like you're saying, you know, four last year in a shortened season, four the each two years before that, and seven the year before that. So um, he's, he's probably going to get you five plus, give or take. All the projected sites have him for five or more. Decent average, 14, 15 homers. I like the the Vasquez shout out quite a bit. He's a kind of underappreciated guy in that Red Sox lineup. It isn't the old Red Sox lineup, but still not bad. So mm-hmm. I think it's a good alternative and when you look at Christian Vasquez, he's going right before Varsho by like five picks. So if you say, you know what, I'm going to take the guy that's the everyday catcher in Boston. I don't have to worry about playing time and all that. Go like around early and get Christian Vasquez, call it good. That's definitely an option you can take as well. All right, two uh, bounce back or potential bounce back candidates that some people are talking about. They're tough to stomach, but they're coming at a price tag that if you build properly, we've talked about it last week. You just talked about it with Varsho. If you build your roster properly to kind of offset problems, I should say, Gary Sanchez, the 11th catcher off the board, is at pick 186. Mitch Garver's the 13th catcher off the board at 220. Now, to be fair, Sanchez for now has the starting job, but there's been some interesting comments out of Brian Cashman already this offseason. And Mitch Garver reports are maybe DHs when Nelson Cruz isn't, but be sharing times with the Jeffers uh jeffers is going well after mitch garber put it that way are you taking chances on gary sanchez or mitch Garver at this point in time
2: not really i i don't think i have them on any teams you know with sanchez i think the challenge is just the batting average the batting average is so low and it's been so low now for such a long time it seems very difficult for that to come up and so Playing in a lot of overall competitions you just can't stomach that that batting average in an overall competition so I would say no there I think in a standalone you know maybe maybe you give that a shot but again it's a it's a huge drain it's a huge drain for sure Garver I've ne- I've always had a challenge buying into Garver because the twins have never shown an interest in having him play more than one out of every two games yeah you know and obviously 2019 if he's able to replicate 2019 well that's great, but it's also hard to see him being able to replicate that or, or come close to it. And so at a at a cost of two twenty, you know, pick two twenty, maybe maybe he's a ceiling guy that you go for. But I think I just you know they 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 are pretty strict with having their catchers only play one of every two games. Yeah. So maybe there's something to DH thing, but until we get there, I just I'm not sure I I'm not sure I necessarily see it, but. You know, um, again, the the cost isn't isn't huge.
1: Yeah, like I've been liking Jeffers late in drafts and DCs and stuff as like a third or fourth catcher with good batting average upside, not a lot of power. But Garver's interesting if you're looking for kind of a power source, because like you say, he's not gonna play every day. But you got a guy that projections have, you know, fifteen ish homers, two forty five, two fifty average. At that point in the draft when you're talking catchers, that's like pretty good, if not the same. Like Yanni Molina. I like think the power's kind of not maybe 10 to 12. Uh, Posey's bad average, no power. Everyone's in on Carson Kelly, but I'll believe that when I finally see it. There's like a couple guys you can kind of look at, but I think Garver's just an interesting one that if it just clicks right, we've seen him play first base at times. We've seen him um, DH when like, Cruz takes a day off. So maybe Garver – it, it, it sucks. Like, you're just speculating here. But maybe he plays four and a half games a week. That's, like, just on average. So some weeks five, some weeks four. Like, four and a half games a week, that could become a little more interesting. Uh, I'm not completely against it, but it, it's just tough. It's very tough. Uh, at least Sanchez has the job for now. So if you want to pick between the two, maybe you go there. But I'm just finding myself at the 220 looking at Garver going, as a catcher too, it's not the worst thing. If, I, if I'm if i steady everywhere else. So, it's just an, an interesting option with him cuz I could see if he starts hitting well, I could see him overtaking Jeffers a little bit more. So, any other late catching targets that have your attention? Uh, late
2: catcher targets that have my attention. Uh, yes, there are some. So, Yadier Molina, um, again, steady as steady as he goes, he's always good, you know, no real skill deterioration from past seasons despite some increase in injuries which is a little bit concerning but a, a batting average positive from the catcher spot which is nice a decent amount of um decent amount of power which he's kind of added a little bit more to his game um, in recent years and a little bit of speed as well even though he's slow as molasses so i like Yadi a lot he's always every year he's a target of uh a target of mine um uh, omar narvaez is another one. I think he gets the bulk of the innings in Milwaukee. He showed that he could be a plus defensive catcher at least from a framing perspective last year and he wasn't able to put together the 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 hitting but you know, maybe that was because of the focus on the defensive piece or maybe it was just the shortened season. So I think that's something and again, another guy who could be a batting average positive from the catcher position. There um jacob stallings just for plate appearances i think he's going to get the vast majority of the of the opportunity in pittsburgh and, and he's not a drain in batting average either uh, max uh, Stasi, i know that there's a question about him later on but i like a, what he did a lot last year so that's a possibility um i'll leave i'll leave your guy for you the last one i'll mention probably is jose trevino um, I think that everybody's focused on Jonah Heim, but I think that he's going to get the vast majority of plate appearances in Texas hit in the middle of that lineup and, and be decently good. Um, so those are the guys that kind of have my uh, attention um, at the catcher position right now.
1: Yeah, no, most of those check the boxes for me too. I like the Yachty call uh, a couple others. Uh, Jeffers, like I mentioned, pick three twenty five hits for a decent average for catchers. It uh, doesn't do much else for either, but I don't mind him. I've been, I've always been a Navarro guy. I love Stassi and Stallings. I have those guys in a lot of leagues right now. And then Elias Diaz, a pick four hundred four hitting lead, uh, the lead catcher in Coors like that quite yeah. a bit as well. I think that's a fun one to to take a pick at. And then I'm trying to think of who's my guy. That was your guy. Okay, okay. That was I your stay. guy. Diaz okay. was your guy. That's what okay. I was leaving for you. Okay, yeah. good. I was about to go, who else is it going <laughs> like to be? Between Stassi, Stallings, and Diaz, I think Stassi, Stallings, and Diaz, I think if you look at a lot of my teams, I have like probably two of those on every team, if not one for sure, on every roster I have right now. As yeah, on the,
2: on the DCs and best balls and stuff.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I have a lot of those shares right now. So like, It's just at-bats, pure at-bats. Like, you're going to totally. a starting position player – Pick 350 and later like it's hard to find in those those leagues totally and Diaz is another plus
2: batting average guy yep who you know especially in Coors that's going to play really well I think
1: so for sure big fan of his uh let's head to the outfield like I mentioned we're going to kind of hover around the top 150 ADP kind of see where it goes from there but um again using from February 1st on I wasn't going to go into a deep dive on the first round but right now it's a Cunha two. Soto a little after four, Betts about five, Trout seven, Yelich 13th. You know, it's mainly the big four up top. Trout just keeps falling and people keep, you know, saying he's the best, this, that, which no no hiding that, but when we're talking a fantasy game, steals are not there. That's why Betts, Soto, and Acuna are above him. I wasn't going to go super deep into this, but do you have any takes on the the top uh, first round targets? No, I think it generally makes sense to me.
2: Um, I think Yelich is probably going to be a a steal where he's going. You know, not that you really get that many steals in the first round, but I just don't know if I buy the reasons why. Like, I don't know, you know, why Yelich struggled. I was listening to um uh, to Eno and and uh, Derek Van Riper on um, on uh, rates and barrels, and they were talking a little bit about the impact on video and the fact that it's it's a lot about timing. And I think that was helpful in thinking about why he may have looked a little lost at the plate. And so now they're gonna allow guys to use video in between innings and not with iPads where they can't steal signs, but they're able to kind of look and maybe time things a little bit better. So I think that has a big a big, issue, a big um, impact on Yelich. And I think, you know, maybe how, how that video piece can just get exacerbated is, you know, you start off and you don't have your timing to begin with because you have a shortened spring. And then you get in there and you don't have the tools that you usually use to help you time. So you start to struggle and then you're struggling. So you're pressing in addition to not having your timing down and it just becomes this vicious cycle. And he said, I think for a few guys, we saw that where it's just him, Javi Baez, where it's just their line looks their The way they looked at the plate just was totally the opposite of how they've always looked at the plate. And so if Yelich can be anywhere close to what he's been in the past, you know, batting average will be a huge asset. Power will be an asset. Stolen bases will be an asset and and he'll do fine in the counting stats. So, you know, of, of all those, I think that's fine. I think they all look great. I think they're all stupendous. You know, Soto going at four, obviously he's amazing. I think a lot of people are maybe investing a little bit too much in that batting average that he had last year, which was pretty inflated if my memory is serving me correctly. Let's see. Yeah. The BABIP at 363. Um, the K rate fell considerably, but again, it's a small sample size and it was also only the East and the pitching in the East, which was, which was pretty atrocious last year. Um, the ground ball rate is still high, you know, previous seasons, 208, uh, 282 and a 292 batting average. So again, a plus batting average, but not necessarily the elite batting average. Like if you were to say who's going to have a better batting average this year, Soto or Betts, I would go, but Betts in a second, um, you know? And, and so, so I don't think Soto again, he's incredible. He's just getting better. I don't know if I'd want to go with him at, at, at four. I think I'd want to, well we I know want, what you probably want. go somewhere else.
1: <laughs> you want your pitcher, we know that.
2: Yeah, but even if I was going with a hitter there, you know, okay. I mean um yeah, even even with a hitter I'd rather have Mookie. Or um, you know, I'd Yeah, I mean maybe it's just Mookie, but
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah the Soto versus Mookie thing's interesting cuz Acuna is there. I don't mind like I've seen Soto go in one in a few drafts here recently. Uh, the Mookie Betts versus Soto conversations very very interesting to me. Ray Murphy at Baseball HQ, he uh, wrote about it in um, the, one of his general manager pieces, and um, it was very very interesting the way he broke it down. That just the consistency of Mookie Betts with the steals and all that good stuff. Like Soto is amazing. I love Soto. Like I probably would draft him just out of like passion over bets, But if you really want to break down the the actual picks and the fantasy aspect of it, outside of probably homers which i i would see soto doing more than bets but not by a ton um in, in that offense bet should score more runs he should steal more bases he should hit for a better average so it's rbis and home runs which hey toby what can you find later in drafts totally. rbis and home runs so it's a it's an interesting discussion when you break it down of how good mookie bets is and what could take place there so it's a It'll be interesting. Like it's one of those where I kind of want to be like, if you know, pick six, just let them fall to me. Like that would be mm-hmm. beautiful to me. But I, I, Betts is
2: the only hitter I've drafted in the first round, and I got him at pick eight That's um, in one of my drafts. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd rather have Trey Turner straight up yeah. than Soto for sure. Um, I mean, the thing about Soto too—guess what his home run per fly ball rate last year was?
1: Um, like. Forty-five, because he's you're, you're probably throwing some number out there that he 30, overachieved.
2: Thirty-six point one percent. I only mentioned actually,
1: because,
2: <laughs> yeah, but because I think those types of numbers are important to consider for this year. Because the thing is, for Soto, we're like, oh man, he just hit whatever. What did he hit 330, 351 thirty-three fifty-one. He's got that batting average locked in. He's a three hundred hitter. But then it's like, well, he had a fifty-one percent ground ball rate. Mm -hmm. and then you're like, oh, and he hit with a ton of power, more power than he's ever hit for before. And, you know, like he had a 36.1% home run per fly ball rate. That ground ball rate actually went up. He only had a very small percentage of his batted balls were fly balls. So it's just those types of things add up, and then you also get to the fact that he's like a center oppo guy, and I think with the ball being being deadened, the guys that hit it to center are the ones – that are good, likely to be impacted more because they, um, because they're hitting the ball further distance, and so the deadening of the ball has a greater impact. So all those things just combine to tell me that I think Soto is the one guy I think maybe is being priced poorly. Well, I will and not say, that I don't think he's good, but I
1: just I just don't know. I don't know. I will say Betts is also a center field guy, just like Soto. So that's true.
2: Yeah, and he is one of the guys that they say that they Big think is going to lose yeah. the most home runs.
1: Big time. So. so that that's interesting. But when you look at just uh, – I pulled up Juan Soto on the pitch leaderboard here. He had a um, 17.9% barrel rate last year. Deserved barrel rate. Still good, but 11.5%. So mm-hmm. a little bit of fun there. Like, you know, Will Bacon 534, Exo Bacon 523. Still good, but uh, it was still a step back. So a hard hit rate of almost over 51%. Dynamic harder hit rate of 27.6, blast rate 11.4. The dude's good. There's no hiding this at all. But uh, like you said, his babbit was through the roof. Um, there's a couple other things that just kind of stand out that bets is interesting. So all I'm going to say is it's, it's a fun discussion, and I love Juan Soto. But I think Mookie Betts is definitely, definitely should be considered where he's not being considered very often to go over a Juan Soto. Um, let's talk a little bit farther down the draft board now. Uh, the ninth. Outfielder off out the board is Eloy Jimenez at pick 36. And then at pick 10 is Luis Robert at pick 36.1. So right behind him, basically teammates are going back-to-back. Back. It's to get the power guy with potentially a nice average or do you get a potential power speed guy with no average. Where do you go on this one? Because I obviously took, uh, looking at my board here, I took Eloy in the Battle of the Pods League. I've been taking Eloy over Robert the whole time. But do you uh, do you do you like Lou Bob?
2: No, you know I would go Eloy here. I think it's really a question of batting average versus stolen bases in a lot of respects. But it's not just that. I mean, because it's it's that right? Because that's really what what uh, Robert has is stolen speed that Eloy doesn't. Eloy's going to hit more home runs probably. He's going to drive in more runs. He's going to score more runs because he's probably going to be hitting cleanup or fifth. And Robert is probably going to be further back in the lineup, um, especially since his OBP is is not going to be uh, is not going to be great. And so I think there's more concerns for me there. So the question becomes one of, is it easier for me to make up stolen bases later or is it easier for me to make up batting average later? And I think the easy answer to that is stolen bases. I think it's much easier to make up stolen bases this year than it is batting average. You know, there are uh, a a few guys going kind of in the middle of the drafts where you're taking a similar batting average concern that you have with Robert, but you have similar upside in terms of stolen bases. You obviously don't have the power, um, you know, but, but you're also talking 130 picks later, right, where you can get some of those guys. So for me, I'm going Eloy in that situation. I love Eloy. I think Eloy is fantastic have no problem drafting him any point in the in the third round. i would be happy to do that. So for me it's Eloy all day, but I understand why people would go with Robert.
1: Yeah, Robert's got that it's like it's like the Kyle Tucker syndrome almost. If it clicks he could be amazing. But uh, I, I still don't know if he'll ever hit for average. So that's where it gets to like at least with Kyle Tucker you pretty much imagine there's an average there. Um with Eloy, you know you're getting thirty to forty home run guy with a two eighty average that's not easy to find. Like it really isn't. It's JD Martinez type stuff. And we used to draft JD Martinez here or earlier. Uh, he's not going to steal bases like you said. It just comes down to what you do with Elo or with with Lou Bob. There's a lot of question marks there, a lot of volatility. He's one of those guys we talk about with like Kyle Tucker and some others. If you want to try to win an overall, okay I could see you going with, with Lou Bob there. To try to try to catch fire. But I've heard um some people talk about it recently I think it was a White Sox beat reporter or someone else that what if Lou Bob struggles early? Like dude, Tony La Russa. He's he likes his vets. What's he going to do? Does he go? Hey, he needs some time in the minors. Get some, get his head straight. What do they do with him? It'd be hard to see, but you never know. It'd be interesting. It'd Be very, very interesting. That kind of discussion. So, something to keep in well, mind there.
2: Robert is has a he's got a long term deal though six years fifty million.
1: Yeah, but it's not a, it's not like an expensive long term deal. If it's like, hey kid, go spend spend a month in AAA and figure it out. Yeah, uh, it's just yeah. he's so young still.
2: Yeah, but yeah, I mean, he's elite defensively though too. So I think True. he contributes either way. But, um, I mean, I Tony think La it,
1: Tony LaRusso,
2: I know Tony LaRusso is a big question I have in the back of <laughs> my mind. I mean, the thing though about between Robert and Tucker is Robert's contact rate last year was 62%. You know, um, Tucker's was right around the average, if not slightly above league average, you know? And so that I think is the challenge is I've mentioned this a couple times on podcasts is I really early on, like I'm thinking about error bars on players and like who I don't want. I don't necessarily, I don't really want that that, um, I mean, I want ceiling of course, but all the guys you're getting there have ceiling. So I want the guy that's least likely to be an absolute dud from there. And I think in that, this particular case, it's, it's Eloy. And I think there's more power that Eloy can tap into. He's also yep. got a very high ground ball rate. Um, you know, which is one of the reasons why he also has a high, uh, a relatively high batting average, I think, cause he hits tall fields, but, um, you know, he could, he could definitely a uh, 5% increase in that decrease in that ground ball rate. And, we could be talking about 50 plus home runs from him. So I
1: yeah, can get pretty wild there. Um, let's talk about uh, some young and some old, some new faces, new places type situations. You got Starling Marte, 12th outfielder off the board at pick 47, going right behind with a new Toronto Blue Jay, George Springer at pick 48. So it's an interesting spot here. Starling Marte, kind of steady Eddie, 2020 type guy, good batting average. Seems to be underappreciated more often than not, but still very good. Now, you got George Springer going to a phenomenal hitting environment potentially. We don't really know that for sure just yet. In uh, a very, very loaded lineup and probably hitting in the middle of that order. So, where do you stand on these two?
2: Yeah, for me, it's going to be Marte um, in this particular instance, just because I think he's got the leg up on Springer in both batting average and stolen bases, obviously. Springer is going to score a ton of runs. The power is going to be really nice. Everything will be, will be great but he's not helping to build that batting average cushion for me the way that Marte is, I think, and he's not also going to provide those stolen bases. So Marte is an interesting one because I love him and I, I don't think I have him on any teams yet just because of where he falls seems to fall just a little bit off where it's like, I'm choosing between him and Alex Bregman, you know, around like pick 44, 45. And I just can't not take out Alex Bregman in that particular instance. But, um, yeah, so I'd go I'd go with Marte.
1: Yeah, I'm with you too. Like I think I have like one or two shares of Marte so far, but um he just seems to just yeah, no love goes his way. It feels like this year after everyone like Todd Zola and company took him so early a year or two ago and kind of set the curve on him. It's I guess maybe it's going to Miami. I don't know what it is, but uh, he's been pretty quiet on the Marte front, but I'll be back on that train. I like George Springer. It's fun to see what he's doing, but you mentioned the no, stolen bases, probably lower average. So that's a nice differentiating factor for me as well. Another fun one here, Marcelo Zuna has re-signed in Atlanta, um, mm-hmm. and he's the 14th um, outfielder off the board at pick 55. Going right after him at the 15th outfielder, Randy Orozarena at pick 56. So I find this one interesting. You have Ozuna coming off an MVP caliber season. You got o- Orozarena coming off an MVP caliber postseason. And all the hype train behind him, the difference, main difference, stolen bases, of course. But at least with Ozuna, we've seen it for like more than three weeks. So what's your thoughts on these two?
2: Yeah, it's tough. Rosa Wren is a huge issue for me because we have such a small sample size to deal with. And despite that, all of the projections love him, but I cannot seem to find myself taking him. I have not drafted him a single time, even though he would fit some needs for my teams in that particular place. and I just think it's again like an error bars thing where you know we have such a small sample from from a Rosarena anything could happen next year, anything could happen um and that includes him being absolutely fantastic, but I just question whether he's gonna steal as much. Maybe I don't know the batting average, the lack of contact—it all worries me. So my 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 mind tells me Azuna I would probably go with there, although I think he's he way overperformed last year. But I think he's still in a great spot. He's hitting cleanup in that lineup in Atlanta, which is going to be really good. Um, so I, I would I would probably lean in Ozuna in that particular instance even though it kind of cuts against my like desire for speed there. But I just think that Azuna's solid. He's been solid for a long time, even in his worst season, he's still helpful and he has the potential to contribute in at least four categories. And yeah,
1: maybe a few stolen bases here and there, but I think that 12 with St. Louis is, is a thing of the past. Yeah. I'm not counting the steals with him. It's mainly give me some good power run production decent average I, I just know like you said we've seen it with with ozuna the hard hit like the stat cast metrics have been there pretty much this whole time so it's not like a fluky thing in that regards um I, i'd go that way a rosarena i'm not gonna say i have a couple shares of him when he's fallen in drafts but i'm not targeting him like other people are like people are jumping drafts to get him i'm just like you i'm kind of concerned at the same time like i see the upside so in certain leagues i take the chance their best balls their dcs where i have you know Deep, deeper uh, player pools and can make adjustments where I need to. But there is serious concern, like serious concern about has he done this before? Um, I'm just not as confident as some other people are that are willing to take him like around three or something. That's, that's pretty, pretty gutsy for me. It's like, he's a risk. Like he's not maybe an injury risk. But he's a massive risk. Like you mentioned the air bars. There's a lot that could go wrong just as much as a lot can go right with Randy Roserant. So, Let's see it first. If that's just the biggest thing. Let's see. He's, he's played a total of Ooh. forty-two major league baseball games. So I have I have an idea, Bubba. Yeah. Let's see what the
2: well, the interprojection standard deviation isn't going to be that. I mean every every projection system likes. Yeah, I mean, they're all pretty. Right? They're all pretty similar too. They're all twenty twenty type guys with a two sixty ish average. I'm going to try this out. Okay, let's see. We got Ozuna. He's got a 3.32 inter uh, projection standard deviation on ATC. Rosa Renna has a 5.48. Yes, there you, go. there you go. This is what we call, it, ladies and gentlemen, confirmation bias. I am oh, looking. Me. I am looking for a data point to confirm my intuition that I should stay away from Randy Arroza Renna, and I found it with the inter. Projection standard deviation, courtesy of the ATC projection system. That, ladies and gentlemen, is how you do fantasy analysis.
1: (laughs) What do you tell people that don't believe in projections?
2: What's that?
1: What do you tell people that don't believe in projections?
2: Go ahead, don't believe in projections. You do what you you do you.
1: Yes, you do you. Boo boo. All right, the next guy I want to talk about here, it's a fun one because right after the season ended, Teoscar Hernandez was a very, very popular name, and everybody wanted a piece of him, but it seems like he's slowly kind of falling down drafts. He's the 21st outfielder off the board, almost a pick 80. I've seen articles saying he's a bust now and so many other things. Like when we talked about it before, you know, you can wait around or so and take Gurriel as teammate. There's a lot of similarities there, but people are really starting to kind of sour a little bit more on T Oscar, You know, still projected hit in the middle of the blue Jays order could be a very, very productive situation there. Um, still projected hit 30 plus homers around 10 bags. Not a good average guy. Are you out on T Oscar? You in on T Oscar? I know he was big for you last year.
2: I am out on T Oscar. I do not have him on any one of my teams. Um, I think, I think there's so much to love. I mean, the quality of contact is exceptional. You know, he stole a ton of bases, so maybe he'll do that again. But I just think that the, the swing and miss is still there, right? He's pretty similar to the guy who he was before. And the thing that maybe has changed a little bit is he's swinging. I mean, even his O swing was worse last year. His contact rate was worse last year, right? And so it's just what he was able to do with that quality of contact, but he also had a 33% home run per fly ball rate. You know, um, he had a 25.8% line drive rate. So that dip in ground balls went um, pretty exclusively to his line drive rate. You know, which is which is boosting up that batting average along with the 348 Babbitt. But if if we're, I mean. His projection for batting average, a high of, four, uh, of 248 and a low of 239, you know? And so it's just over the course of a longer season, I think it's really hard to see him keeping up what he's doing. The Another major question mark for me is the speed because he is decently fast and he was successful at stealing bases, but it was kind of the first time he's been successful. And I just don't know, I just don't see it happening. I just don't know if he's going to get to double-digit stolen bases. So, again, beautiful, beautiful player to Oscar Hernandez. Loved him, loved what he did last year, but I just don't know if it's, it's, if it's sustainable over a longer period of time. And especially with the crowded situation they have there, mm-hmm. um, it's just a few too many questions for me to snag him right there.
1: Air yeah. bars. That's my new saying. Air yeah. bars. Roto right Ware needs to make a t shirt. Air bars. Pocket aces and air bars. You should have two shirts by now. Ooh. Um I've got a yeah. game. I've got a game. There you go. Uh, t. Oscar is he's a tough one. Like we I loved him last year because of where he's getting drafted. Now you have to like make decisions. Like Nick Castellanos is right behind him. Guriel, who we've talked about, some other guys are, are head, like Eddie Rosario becomes an interesting discussion with Oscar Hernandez. So it's it's nothing against the Oscar. But I think we saw a ceiling last year or pretty close to it. And you're paying for a ceiling. And that's something we, you should never want to do when you drive. Not that you can't do, you should never want to do. So um, I'm going to, I'm probably going to pass on him as well. It really stinks, but if he keeps falling, then we'll have a discussion because if he gets out of like pick 100 or so, maybe a little farther down, it becomes a lot more interesting because I'll have my stolen bases feel a little better about that. And we'll, we'll have a, a better discussion. The next outflow. Let,
2: let me ask you a question here. Where do you think Teoscar Hernandez? This is the game. Where do you think Teoscar Hernandez's interprojection standard deviation lies between Ozuna
1: and Eros Right in the middle of them. I think he's uh, right a like smart man. 2 or something.
2: He's right around four. So what Ariel essentially said is under three is really good. Um, over four is not very good, he's right around four. Um,
1: so he's like, average. so
2: he's kind of in between, yeah.
1: I like right. it. You know what that says? Randy Rose Reyna, worse than Teoscar Hernandez. Um, <laughs> all right. The, the next guy I want to talk about suffered through COVID last year, just did not look anything like his normal self, and that's Austin Meadows, 25th outfielder off the board, to pick 95. Some people are still in love with him, um, but some are kind of fading away. I have zero shares lost to medals. I don't know what to think of because watching him in the postseason, he just looked like a shell of himself. But, hey, maybe it was COVID. He's talked about the, it was a, a tough battle for him health-wise and everything. He had 205 on the season, a 288 Babbitt, usually a 330-type Babbitt guy. Struck out 33% of the time, usually 20 to 22%. Um, it's just a massive just down-down season. For Austin Meadows but uh he's coming back after a full off season. should be healthy this is a guy that we were drafting you know top 20-ish outfielder last year so what's your thoughts on Meadows going into 2021 God you keep on asking all these questions about guys
2: that I have very poor justifications for my position on them because I absolutely loved Meadows heading into last year you know I just I loved him I had no problem drafting him in the third round you know um and now I'm like, oh, I have him on one team because he fell to like pick 110 or something like that. So, but I also think that he's a guy where I think spring training does tell me a little bit of something, you know, just from a health perspective. And as we learn a little bit more about what he was going through last year, not just only with the COVID, but I believe he had like an elbow or shoulder or something like that that was bothering him as well. So right now he's not a priority for me. I'll, I'll draft him if he falls far enough, but I will be interested to see how he looks in spring training and what we learned, maybe a little bit of how he was feeling last year. I think that will be instructive for what, what happened, how I feel about him in drafts because he does, you know, I mean, towards the end of 2019, he was just on absolute fire. Like everything was just on fire. Like the contact rate, the plate discipline, the quality of contact, it was all wonderful. Um, And so he's capable of that. And and around pick eighty ninety, I mean that's becomes a little
1: bit intriguing if I feel if I feel good about him there. Yeah, the more and more I think about Austin Metals, I need to kind of I need to do my best to forget about twenty twenty. I know we can't say we, we say you probably shouldn't forget about everything because small sample still a sample, but uh, it, you know documented COVID stuff it's, it makes it a little more. Kind of justifiable because he was so far off. Like, it wasn't like he was just bad. Like, he was just so far off from his previous seasons. So it, it makes me kind of think, okay, maybe I'm overthinking this one and I need to dig in some more because where he's getting drafted is very intriguing for a guy that could hit you like 25 homers and potentially steal you like 15 bases with a good average, scoring a lot of runs at that point in the draft. It's intriguing. It's very, very intriguing. Would you be shocked if he outperformed Randy Arosaraina this year?
2: No, I no exactly. wouldn't. But let me right. ask you a question: What is Austin Meadows' interprojection standard deviation? Three point two. It's five point eight. Ooh, it's higher than a Rosarinas. Ooh, well, that is bad. Yeah. So I mean, but it 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 again, confirmation bias speaking. It's a data point that reflects our emotions, right? The volatility, um, the volatility is hard to pin down. It's hard to, um, I guess a different way to say it is it's hard to have a really firm position or a really firm belief on somebody that has so much volatility, you know, Um, because all of those are, they're all possibilities and we know that. And so it's really hard to pin down, oh, I think Meadows is going to hit the 75th percentile of his projection. It's like, you know, there's a lot of things that factor into that and and some of the um, and every all of those things are out of our control. so I don't know, it's just interesting side tricky. note.
1: That's yeah. it's, it's very interesting. those um, are the types of
2: guys i want to, I want to get later in drafts. Yes, right? because we know that they have ceiling in that particular instance.
1: definitely. So, that's why yeah, if he falls some more, like get past pick 100, we'll start talking some more. It could be yeah. quite interesting. Uh, another little debate here. players that we compared going into last season is very similar. Projection systems have them very similar again. Tommy Pham, 32nd outfielder out the board, pick 130. Ramon Laureano, 35th outfielder out the board to pick 139. Both had some down seasons, battled some injuries. Tommy Pham uh, picked up a heck of a scar this offseason as well. So it, it's it's interesting because you know Laureano's younger, both similar profiles. Where do you go on these two?
2: I'm Laureano. I'm Team Laureano this year you know, fam, I've always loved fam. I love fam. Um, and, and, you know, if, if they, if they were to play the same amount of play appearances, I'd be all over fam, but fam is older by about five years. He's, you know, he's, you know, so, and then there's the, it's, it's the stabbing, but it's also the injury. It's the age, it's the way he plays. Right. I mean, all of those things, it's the Padres. We talked about kind of fading Padres, I think, a little bit on the last podcast. You know, there's, there's reason to believe that they will rest him on a decent amount. You know, All those things are going are gonna to factor into it. And for me, Laureano is a great uh, um, example of a guy who, by, all, by almost every, every metric, actually improved last year, but his outcomes didn't improve. And not only that, but he's probably going to be taking over Semians spot on the top of the a's lineup elvis andrews is not going to be at the top of that lineup um loriano i think has a good shot of doing that or batting second and and i think you know and i'm all over it and i think the projections are low on him um because i think especially with stolen bases i mean he's 26 so he's yes he's gotten a little bit older but a full complement of plate appearances and I think Loriano is. Um, I think he's really. Good. I think he's. I, think I, I he's a guy that I have on a, a number of, di- of my different teams.
1: So. Yeah, it, it's a fun one because I've always been team fam. Like you have. I even started the off season as team fam. But the more the Padres made acquisitions, the more complicated this got. And you just started looking at it more. And the more I look at, at Loriao, I, I was big on Loriao last year. It um, it swayed me it has swayed me for sure especially when Simeon's didn't come back and like you mentioned potentially leading off which we saw in the past with lauriano and he flourished at the top of that days order there's just so many things pointing in the right direction give me a healthy lauriano top of that order really shouldn't have too many playing time issues as you mentioned sure the ballpark sucks to hit in there's no hiding that but <laughs> for sure you know he, he can get on get some doubles steal some bags like he can hit his home runs on the road i'm not looking for 30 home runs from lauriano give me 20 to 25 go steal me 20 bags and hit for a good average and score a bunch of runs. Cause the A's will score runs. They do it every year. Even when you think their are lined garbage, they score a bunch of runs. It's just what the A's do. So I like Loreano quite a bit at this point. He's one of the, both these guys don't get me wrong are good for it. But later in the draft, if you're looking for another kind of big stolen base spot, this is a good one to, to go and grab between the, the Fams, the Laureanos, there's a couple more here before it really drops off. I guess is a, a good spot for loreano kind of a, one of the f- last few five category guys you can you can find in a draft. So big fan of that.
2: Yeah, and one thing about his projection is is it has him lower on batting average. That's why in a lot of projection systems he actually doesn't come out that great because he's got the two forty-nine batting average. But I believe in in a higher batting average than yeah, that.
1: .288. The first two seasons where he got hurt. So yeah, yeah. Um,
2: he's a. I think he's a bit, Um I he
1: think he's a Babbitt. Yeah, um,
2: yeah, and. And um, and so there's so that that keeps the the value, at least auction value, because I actually don't have them as a steal in my projections, but I think that's where you you try to kind of maybe incorporate some of the some of your own beliefs into the system. But 2210, and guess what his inner projection standard deviation is?
1: Let's go 3.2 2.08. Oh,
2: me. I mean, the guy's locked in. Like with this interprojection projection standard deviation like that, I don't think you can miss. I don't think he can be bad. But that's all to say around pick 150 that's tremendous, right? Like the projections are solid on his value and it's 249 with 22 home runs and 10 stolen bases at the top of that lineup. Um and for me that's that's great. And that's with only 586 plate appearances. And yeah, he's had trouble staying healthy because he's just the guy who plays that way. It's but if hard. he can stay healthy and he hits at the top of that lineup, that's a lot more plate appearances that you're going to get.
1: So, yeah. um
2: and for the guys that I like, I like to I like to think half glass full.
1: There you go. And and a lot of it is it's you know, it was the health and you look at his his overall hit profile, his fly ball rate dropped from twenty seven to sixteen percent. The pop up rate was over ten percent, his weak contact went from one point six to six point three. So there's a lot of things pointing in the direction that he was hurt, I think it was a wrist injury or a hand injury or something that he had. So it makes sense, make a lot of sense of why things were the way they were. And um I, I, I'm much more confident in things. Getting back on the right track there for Mister Ramon Lariano, uh, another fun one coming up here. Um, Dylan Carlson, he's going to get the everyday job. Not really a concern there. He finished the postseason hitting cleanup for the Cardinals after he uh, got sent down and brought back. He started hitting really well. Thirty sixth outfielder off the board, about pick one forty. Mike Yastrzemski, thirty seventh outfielder at pick one forty three. So going right next to each other in drafts. One's the up and coming young star. Yastrzemski's showing himself to be pretty good for a couple of years. Uh, but it's still in San Francisco. So where do you go with these two? Because Yastrzemski, we've seen it. Carlson, we're still hoping to see it.
2: Bob, I don't want to hurt you. Oh, I. am going to go. With, I'm going to go with a little bit of upside here, and I'm going to go with Carlson. I don't blame you. Um, I think Carlson. You know, he's. I only have him on one or two teams. But he's definitely a guy that I think could really take a huge step forward. Like if we're talking about him, you know, who's who might actually be a good. I don't know if this is a good comp because I don't do prospects, but Austin Meadows is actually kind of like a good comp for him in the sense that they have fairly similar profiles. Right. They can steal. They can hit for a little pop. Maybe the pop is a little under appreciated. Um, Can hit for batting average as well. Uh, I think Meadows was going like around, maybe pick ADP of 180 or so, you know, back in 2019, but another example of a guy who can be a five category contributor, if things go the right way. And I think even if he's not, you know, even if they don't go the right way, I think he can contribute solidly. And I think he can contribute in a lot of categories. And so that gives you a little bit more confidence, maybe that, um, that he will be able to contribute. Um, and that he won't be he won't be too much of a of a suck. I haven't gotten him a lot of times though, just because some of the other guys that are going in this range for me are just a little bit more interesting.
1: Yeah, Carlson is a pure upside pick at this point, but I, I don't hate it. I, I take Carlson over Yaz too. I wrote up Carlson a couple weeks ago at Roto Baller as a fantasy sleeper. Like he's not getting drafted at the draft pick of a sleeper, but when it comes to outfielders. If you believe he's got the Austin Meadows profile, he's a sleeper because he's going to finish much higher for next year's draft. Um, and I'm a big fan of what we saw, the, the changes he made in his approach of the plate between the first part of the season, getting sent to the alt site, coming back up, the way he could hit off-speed pitches better because they were feeding him off-speed pitches like crazy early on. He couldn't hit them. He figured that out, so he got more fastballs. Next thing you know, his hard hit rate's through the roof, his barrel rate's through the roof. Everything is just Awesome for Dylan Carlson that second half. Like two, two completely different seasons on a shortened season. So like it, it's super small samples. Like, so if you want to get mad at that, yes, fine. But that's all I have to deal with. That's all I have. So you you pick what you got. But I, I love the upside there. We saw him break out in 2019 in the minors. Power speed combo guy. he um, uh, There's there's a lot to like with Dylan Carlson. He's still 22 years old. Uh, hitting in that lineup is going to be pretty darn good. I like it a lot. Like, Yaz is good. Yaz is kind of a a steady guy, but if they're going to deaden the ball in that ballpark, are you freaking kidding me? Like, that's terrifying. Plus, it's the Giants. It's just give me Dylan at that point all day long. No questions asked. Last question I have for you here when it comes to the outfielders. This is a guy that was going really early in drafts last year. We pretty much were laying off the bike there. But now Victor Robles is the 40th outfielder off the board at pick 149. This seems like if you don't have stolen bases yet, you're taking a chance. What are you doing? Yeah,
2: I mean, I think that um, with Robles, I think he's fine where he's going right now. I think he's fine. Um, A guy that I really liked actually heading into last year, but I think we've now seen him be pretty overmatched for two consecutive years, which is not to say that 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 will continue to happen. I think my biggest issue with Robles and why I don't um, and why I don't have him on a lot of my teams, I think I have him on one or two, is just that I think I kind of like Leody Tavares better. And I think that that is the challenge for me, because when I think about the difference between those two, right, number one, Robles, like playing, like playing time, I mean, Tavares, there's a huge range of outcomes. But it seems like from every single thing I've heard, he is the starting center fielder and the leadoff hitter for the Rangers. And they're going to give him every chance to do that. And if that's the case, he's hitting leadoff and Robles is hitting ninth. I don't think there's much argument to be made about the fact that Tavares has more pop. You know, I mean, maybe they're similar, you know, but... And then from a speed perspective, I mean, just the plate appearance difference with Tavares and the situation, um, you know, I think so. That So I think that's been one of the challenges that I've been struggling with a little bit with Robles. I also think I, I would rather maybe draft Robles in a in a fab league, I think, as well, where I feel a little bit like, you know, I have some ability to maneuver things around a little bit whereas with a DC it's just locked in so I think he's fine where he's going still think that there's upside he could still be great he's still young um but I struggle a little bit with some of the other comps in this area or other outfielders that are going like like uh, Michael Brantley for instance like one of the last bastions of a batting average in in your drafts like I kind of just would rather get him and snag Tavares a little bit later or you know um You know, even like a Lorenzo Cain who, yes, he's old, but he's also had a season off and he can hit for a higher batting average, you know. So that's just kind of how I'm feeling about Robles right now.
1: Yeah, I like Robles. Robles, I think he's going in the right spot. Like you said, the projections are intriguing to me because in 2019, we saw 17 homers, 28 steals, 255 and 155 games. Still hitting at the bottom of the order there for the most part. Not bad numbers. And the projection sites kind of see that as the kind of season he's going to get. 15 to 18 homers, 25-ish are, uh, stolen bases, 250-ish average. It's not bad. It's a pretty it's a pretty good setup there at that point in the draft. I like Tavares. I, T- Tavares in the Battle of the Pods League. I think there's a lot to like with him leading off, like you mentioned. Don't disagree with any of that. Um what does your ATC differentiation say for Robles? Because I'm I'm very curious because that projection. Oh, Robles' is interprojection,
2: inter-projection is standard deviation is 4.84. Yeah, so it's, it's not not
1: Randy or Rosarena, it's So we're not, good. It's not good. Yeah, so it's, I it's mean, interesting. ATC
2: only has him projected for 20 stolen bases too.
1: Him yeah, uh, for 15 and 20, but all the other sites like them a little bit better than ATC. They do, yeah.
2: Yeah, and, that, and
1: you can see that
2: in the inter-skewness um, of the projection. that ATC
1: has him a little bit on the lower side. So um, Definitely yeah. one to monitor because he's one I could see. He, he comes at a, a good price point. That's the best way I can say it. He's not going to crush you at that point in the draft where last year we had to take him. It was going to be tr- tough to pay off type thing. But I, I like him at this point in the draft. If I'm looking for steals – Tavares leading off is definitely a great argument there. I still like, I like Robles as well. Like, I could live with either one. I would probably take Tavares just for that the spot in the order we're talking about there. But there's something about Robles. It just takes like one injury and he's back to the top of the order, and then that gets really, really tasty in that lineup. So, um, yeah, that's where I'm going to be on that one for now. But know
2: no who Robles sure. pairs well with? Who we talked about earlier?
1: Let me think. Let me think. Eli Jimenez.
2: Eloy, it's a yeah. nice little pairing there.
1: Very good pairing. Very good pairing. There you go. Make your pairs, folks. Some people Hawk think dances. about pairings of
2: wine with food. On you this podcast, pairings of fantasy baseball outfield
1: Home runs to the stolen bases. We have you taken care of. Sure. Um, all right, let's hit some listener questions up here. We have some good ones this week, as always. And we'll kick it off with at Sox fan Chris72, Chris G., Who is the best catcher in baseball And why is it Yasmani Grendahl This is why I didn't put JT Real Muto On the floor because now you have the floor
2: Um, The best catcher in baseball is JT Real Muto Let's be honest (laughs) with each other Uh, It depends We only talk about fantasy baseball on this podcast Because I do not have the Knowledge or skills to talk about regular baseball Um, So I would go with JT Real Muto In that particular instance But Yasmani definitely has a good shout for just overall baseball player.
1: Yeah. Um, he's very, although his defense vacuum is very good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, JT fantasy can't really, can't really argue that one too much. Yeah. No uh, way. Uh, yeah, and moving, he's, he's
2: the best real catcher. Let's be honest. He's very good as a defensive catcher too. Very
1: so. true. Emily uh, moving averages asks, sell us on paying up for catcher Toby. I'm such a cheapskate. When I see the limited plate appearances, I get shook off and always seem to be late to the party. I've drafted with John. We've seen John talk in our, our podcast chat, and he does a lot of best balls and everything, and he always takes catchers late. Like we saw it in the Battle of the Podcast Leagues. He was one of the last guys to take catchers. So sell him, Toby, because you've sold to me and you've sold others. Heck on Labor tonight, Jeff Erickson goes, Um, Cole, G JTR. I thought you were drafting for him. So that's pretty oh, good. Like G like, Cole, hurt. I was over the moon for when he threw JTR in there. Going. So- I mean, That's how does that happen in? A how is that an expert team? league?
2: <laughs> how does Cole and Geo? How do you do that in a 15-team league? That is impossible. Yeah. It's insane. like I I don't even know. I don't know what to do. I mean, it's beautiful and kudos to Jeff Erickson. That's an incredible um, incredible start. The thing is, uh, John, who is MLB Moving Averages, you answered your own question in wait you answered your own question in your question which was plate appearances plate appearances plate appearances plate appearances that is what differentiates the elite catchers from the not so elite catchers because not only are they good from a skills perspective but they also get the bulk of the playing time so that's why i think that Real muto salvi Contreras you know, Grundahl. I mean, some of that is skill with those guys and some of it isn't, but you know, I talked about this, I think fairly inarticulately, maybe it was last week or it was, it was some other thing I was talking about, but it's just like the, the idea of like, I mean, with JTR, he's special because of the stolen bases. They're just, they're just worth more on a catcher. They're worth more to everything. Like if you think about your fantasy team, not as like a puzzle, but as, as a you know as this ever-changing you know just this thing that you need to you need to that's ever-evolving it's an ever-evolving puzzle
1: <laughs> I was wondering where was, you're going with <laughs> that.
2: Really I was going to say something about like nurturing or something like that but I just couldn't I couldn't pull it off but like I think catchers just give you, for me, they give, me, give you such a phenomenal advantage. Like, number one, there are very few instances where catchers become elite, like JTR or Salvi. Like, there's very few catchers who make that step up. And I feel a lot more confident in my ability to get an outfielder who is skilled, who makes that jump to the next level than I am about getting a catcher who does that and also gets the same plate appearance boost that you generally need. Now, there are always, there are always exceptions to the rule. But the fewer number of exceptions to the rule that there are, I think, um, the more challenging. Like when I think about a team build and I get JTR, you know, early on in the draft, I think about, wow, I'm like 25 runs and 25 RBIs ahead of the guy who's just waiting to draft every other catcher who hits 240 with 50 to 55, 50 to 55 and, and 15. You know, that's the way I think about it is the significant advantage that I'm getting over you. Now it creates roster construction concerns depending on how you build your team because you know if you don't get JTR and you go for Salvi you're not necessarily getting the batting average boost although compared to other catchers you are. You're not necessarily getting the speed so you're paying more for the boost that you get in your in your counting stats and in your power you know with him and some of the other guys. So I think there's less of a case to be made for those guys but I just think of it as a huge you know I just think of it as a significant advantage when you have two really good one really good catcher and two really good catchers. I really want to get two really good catchers this year. I've really been trying to prioritize that in my DCs and not just my DCs. I think in my fab leagues, I really want to do this, that this year as well. And when I think about the year, the, the year and what I anticipate, I just consider, I anticipate having, you know, to continue to have a lot of volatility in, in, in pitchers. Um, I think that that's going to be similar to the next year. We have all these questions about ending pitches and like how people are going to use them, six man rotations. We have all these questions, which I think for me boosts the value of starting pitching elite, starting pitching even more. And I think what we saw last year is we saw guys who hitting wise can take that next step, you know, with all of the, all, everything that we're learning about, you know, hitting and how to be a better hitter. There are guys that can take that step. And so for me, locking down those catching positions with and feeling like I have that significant advantage at a position that other people are gonna be weak in, it makes me feel powerful. And and I feel like I trust myself more to find values at other positions that I feel more confident in or to stream those other positions, you know, to to churn out that value. But it's not for everybody. You know, I'm not saying that this is universally an approach that everybody should take. I think some people feel very confident in their ability to get late catchers that that can contribute. And there's some research that says that that's that's a thing too. I think Ariel Cohen has done research on that. Um, And so that's all just to say is, as I think about the puzzle, about the living, breathing puzzle that I'm trying to create in my fantasy baseball team, and I'm trying to create a roster that is adaptable, that's flexible that um, you know that can be really good that that roster for me involves at least one good catcher, if not two good catchers.
1: Yeah. Makes sense. Makes total sense. Like I said, you sold me on it over yeah. the last <laughs> years recording with you. So I don't know. What's the interprojection standard deviation of? No, no, we're not we're not going there. Don't go down that rabbit hole. Um, guilds at the underscore guilds ask Danny Jansen or Alejandro Kirk, who are you taking at their current ADP? Which let me tell you what that is real quick. Uh, Kirk's ADP. I just oh, I gotta get back to catchers. I was looking at that earlier though. Um, catchers ADP Alejandro Kirk is at 337, the 23rd catcher off the board, Danny Jansen, 19th catcher at 310. So I'm about 25 picks apart. Um, I'm still going Jansen for now, but I like Kirk a lot. It's just – it's Jansen's job, and his defense is going to keep him there for at least a little bit.
2: Yeah, this is a tough question for me because my answer is, is neither. And I'll tell you why. Because at least in a fab league, in a fab league, you can't really draft Kirk if he's not going to be on the major league roster to start off with, which is highly likely just because, as Bumpa mentioned, it's just so freaking difficult, especially without knowing that they're going to come up to use one of your seven NFBC roster slots. And I'm assuming, you know, that that um, uh, Andrew is asking this question, you know, from an NFBC perspective, because that's what he plays. He's a very good NFBC player. Um, and so I think I don't want I don't want Kirk for that reason. And if I've gotten to the point where I'm going to draft Danny Jansen, I'd rather just
1: wait. Yeah, some of those I mean, guys that make I mean, the Stallings and everything. That's
2: the thing is, if I don't have that really good catcher, I'd rather just wait. Yeah, you know, like around where Jansen's going, like, you know, uh, uh, he's going around 308. It's like just wait and get Narvaez. Yeah, you know, just wait and try for Stasi. Just yeah. wait and get Stallings. Just wait and get Diaz. Just wait and get to Trevino, you know, like that's, that's how I feel pretty passionately about the catcher position is if I am going to get a catcher too, that, that I don't feel great about, or that I have to ask questions about, like I like Yachty and I'm willing to go there, but he's also kind of old. And so it makes me think like, why not use that pick, which is a value and which there's some really interesting guys going at those different spots and wait a little bit and get a guy going there. So I'm not answer, answering your answering your question. I mean, yes, Jansen over Kirk because he's probably going to be playing to begin with, and you can't afford to have Kirk there. Kirk is a is a potential league winner too, though, just because if he does get those those spots, but they don't really need him. Like their skill set yeah. that they need is not necessarily that. Um, and so I would say neither. I'd say wait and get a later catch or two.
1: Yeah, it's just a playing time thing. Kirk reminds me way too much of Williams Astadio a year or two ago. Like the profile, the hit tool is great. Where's he going to play? It's just a crappy situation for the time being. I'd love to see Kirk come up there, but for now he's not there. His other question was in uh, thoughts on Stassi as a late catcher too in DCs. Yes, we're both on board there. That's, yeah, uh, I mean
2: I think, and, and since that you asked that question too, I mean I would say just wait and get Stassi. Um, Although you know the Kirk Suzuki thing, we got to see how the playing time shakes out. But the things that I liked about that I saw with Stassi last year. You know, walk rate was way up. Um, he's always had good plate discipline, at least the last four years, he's had good plate discipline. So that was nice to see. He was able to maintain that, but he also boosted up that contact rate significantly up to about league average, which is great. And then I want to say his stack cast data was also, um, better. Um, yeah. So barrel rate at 11.1%. Exit low at 91. Did that ground ball rate come down too? yeah, the ground ball rate came down. By about five percent, which is really nice to see for that power perspective. So, some encouraging signs. Again, it was only 105 plate appearances, um, but certainly encouraging. And if Stasi doesn't work out, you can always churn and burn that catcher two spot based on the matchups that you see happening.
1: All right, uh, breaking Ben underscore T asks Toby, do you think I wasted a pick on Varsho based on where I took him in our DC? For reference, it was round ten.
2: Ben, I told you when you signed up for the DC that I was not going to answer another one of your questions ever again, especially after what you did to me drafting Keston Hira right when I was going to draft him for the first time this year. Unacceptable. I refuse to answer the question. Uh, No, we talked about Varsho, I think, pretty extensively. I would not draft him now where he's going just because I think there's there's a little bit too much concern. But actually, let me actually do this. I'll take a look at your team, Ben. well what what's your perspective on it
1: um i i said i i can't do it just knowing that he'll be down for a month or two i understand the aspect of how great he can be if he's there but it's a big if for me that uh, he's gonna come and we even saw it last ooh. year when they called him up he still didn't play every day so it's just it's a concern for me
2: but ben you did it right you want to know why bubba it's do you want to know Ben did? what's that
1: his deviation.
2: Hey, oh, back. Oh, inter- he backed it
1: up with a good second catcher.
2: Who did he back him up with?
1: Uh, let's go, Max Stassi.
2: Elias Diaz.
1: Beautiful, smart man.
2: That that's beautiful because Elias Diaz has a very good batting average for a catcher, or should have a very good batting average for a catcher. And so, you when you have him in, you have a high batting average, relatively speaking and some contribution because he's playing more often than not because dom nunez sucks um and then um and then you then you get the the stolen bases i think it's a i think you did a great job ben you did a great job i also saw that he signed up for a main event with me which (laughs) uh
1: questions are off the table off the table um marty at beamer underscore cleaner asks what are your guys take on cj crone and coors well marty if you paid attention to my twitter on the day he signed i'm very excited like it was a great monday phenomenal monday because a the rockies love to play old guys over young guys b Cron and coors field gets me all kinds of giddy so and he's going free and drafts obviously going to change now but even the projection signs like the bat um I think it, um, Derek Cardi tweeted out in a 600 plate appearance sample, which is not what's projected for on the site. But if you were to play 600 plate appearances, he's close to 40 home runs in Coors Field. Like I am over the moon about potentially CJ Crone playing every day in Coors Field. You? Yeah,
2: I, I feel good about it. It's a minor league deal. So just got to consider that. But he's uh, he'll be good there. I've got him in a dynasty league. So that feels nice. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Everything that Bubba said.
1: Yeah. He's minor league deals. Remember they used to sign Mark Reynolds to minor league deals and he played over young kids all the time. It's the Rockies folks. It's the Rockies. I
2: mean, Josh Prentice sucks. So let's, yeah. I, 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 I don't mean to be mean. I'm saying that word to him too often. I don't mean but to be does. harsh or mean,
1: but compared to CJ Crony does, it's just so, yeah. Fun. I mean,
2: Prentice like he doesn't hit for pop and he walks like two to 3% of the time.
1: Yep. So yeah, it's, it should, as long as he's healthy Crown should be playing. Just that simple. Uh Dave Petro's the yellow ass. Catcher is so gross. I get the JTR love and I want to try to get at least one share, but after that I think Perez is priced too high. I like Will Smith, but I think Barnes plays enough that he won't be worth where he's going. I like Murphy, but he's going too high, I think. Maybe punt and or try to get some of my boy Carson Kelly late and hope he can find June August ah, to You knew you Carson knew Kelly, Carson Kelly he was into
2: the conversation. Dave, Carson Kelly, you know I don't like Carson Kelly. I you yep. can't so go there. I that? can't so go with Carson ahead. Kelly. Dalton Bar show's coming for Carson Kelly.
1: Yep. It's coming for him. Eric Samolsky at Samsky NYC asks, how low are you willing to go for your catcher two? I think we've established that with Stalling, Stasi, Diaz like late three hundreds into the four hundreds. Uh any later for you? No, yeah. I think I think those are kind of the
2: the latest I want to go. Um I wonder if there's like like is there a guy that's going after pick 450 in like a 15 team league that I would be interested in Let's just Um refer- maybe like I mean Tucker Barnhart should play
1: I think Higgins or- Chiot- I think Higgins is the guy I, I look at because of Sanchez struggles we saw in the second half last year he played almost every day. Mm-hmm. And he actually played well. I like get it, it was interesting to me. But Deep, deep, like deep, deep. Like he's he'll, You'll find him on the waiver wire. <laughs> Martin yeah, Maldonado starting catcher for Houston. Well, but you, then you have Jason Castro, right? Yeah, so. but I can imagine Maldonado. But, yeah, I like Castro. Yeah. Chance Sisko an interesting one, honestly. Yeah. Severino in a platoon. Yeah. There's really no straight guy that's going to be playing every day down here. That's, yeah. that's, that's the biggest issue.
2: It is. That's the
1: tough piece. Yeah. Those other guys we mentioned – should play like majority of the time, so we'll see. Uh, MLB moving average already asked, Is T. Oscar a legit power speed stud, or does he take a step back? We already answered that. Um, but the other question MLB moving average had for you, and we're back to John. I just realized it's the second question of the day. Let me pull up the third reds. Uh, let me, oh, yeah, now it's his third. Let me check out best guess at opening day reds outfield. Right now, they have. Akiyama, Castellanos, Jesse Winker, um, technically you have Nick Senzel, Aquino. I think Akiyama, Winker, and Castellanos makes the most sense to me. Do you see anything different?
2: No, I think that makes the most sense. Okay. Um, I think
1: – I mean, can they play Senzel at short? That's where I thought they were going to. Maybe they still will since technically Kyle Farmer is the starting shortstop. So – for everyone's sake, including Clay Link and Jeff Erickson, hopefully they play next until at short. Otherwise, oh my goodness. Or they call it Billy Hamilton. Or not Billy Hamilton, um D Strange Gordon. <laughs> play him at short. But man, yeah, I don't bad. know. What a bad situation. Yeah,
2: I think that, that makes a lot of sense, but I think you see a significant amount of platooning.
1: So, Sinzel's you know. gonna play a lot, but they need to find a way to get him in there and keep Winkers back in the lineup. Yeah, I mean, one thing you might see is is
2: um, Senzel being the short side for Akiyama, mm-hmm. you know.
1: That makes sense. And then, um, yeah. All right. Quick hitter questions. Steve okay. Brunn asks: a Rosarena or Teoscar?
2: Oh, um, Rosarena or Teoscar? I'd go with a Rosarena um, okay. because I think they have similar weaknesses, and a Rosarena has higher
1: speed. Yeah, I go Rosarena too. Meadows or Grisham? Uh,
2: Meadows for me. I think Grisham, major concerns with Padres' depth, left-handed
1: pitchers. Agreed as well. Conforto or Rosario? I think we're on the same page here too. I mean, straight up. Straight up, I got to go with Conforto. I'm going ADR. We're different. I mean, I
2: love love Eddie, but that's tight.
1: Eddie and Cleveland. I'll take it. Um, Kepler or Schwarber? Um... Wabba. Yeah, i going to Schwarber as well. Kepler, I just I love Kepler, but I feel like we've seen his ceiling, and we, it's just man, the floor kind of scares me at times with him. So Schwarber in that lineup, I like him a lot in Washington. Actually, it can be really fun. Um, MS at SMMs seventy nine asks game theory. We always talk about getting speed from your middle infield slots and power from corner infield. How do you find yourself approaching outfield builds? Just fill out, just fill gaps, or is there a category you try to seek in this position? physical challenge build a respectable 12 team outfield out after pick 150 so um, are you targeting speed powers whatever fits your lineup do you have a do you have a game plan with the outfield
2: um, not necessarily I do think that it's more a filling team hole uh, type of situation where I think that outfield is uh, it's actually not that deep I think it's like it's it's I think like later on in drafts, there's a lot of different guys that you can go with that do a lot of different things for you, like from pick 100 to pick 250 or something like that. And so I'm oftentimes filling in my outfield in that particular spot. If not, if not a little bit later. Um, So yeah, it's really a question of filling in the needs that I have in the rest of my team. That's how I kind of use the outfield position a lot of ways.
1: And then he said, uh, team building Build a respectable 12 team outfield after pick 150. I'm just like looking at the ADP while you're talking. There's a ton of guys that's worth drafting still in the outfield after 150. I guess. Okay. It's crazy. Um, It's beautiful.
2: I mean, so I would go Anthony Santander. Yep. Batting average, power. I'd go Leody Tavares. Speed. Top of the lineup. I would go. Andrew McCutchen.
1: It. Yes, yeah, like you better say him. It's all McCutchen.
2: Speed, runs, everything. Power. Batting average is somewhat uh mediocre. Um and then oh, where is he? DiZzy moved up? Damn it. He's 144. It's always part of the most the best builds. Um Oh god. Let's see. Who do I love? Mark Kahn is very lovable.
1: I was looking at him and right, right close to him is if you want to take the chance uh, where the heck was, I was just looking out. I think Aaron Hicks is going too late hitting cleanup for, or in the middle of the Yankees. order. Mm. That's so, a good yeah. one.
2: I, I would go for me. I'd round it off with maybe Brian Reynolds, yep. ADP of two ninety for batting average and kind of contributions in some of the categories. And then maybe I'd finish it off with my, with my fave, which is Justin Upton. Yep, that's that's a a probably a little light on batting average. Um, you know, may, maybe I would instead of getting Tavares, I'd I'd fit Low, low Kane in there. Yeah, um, I think I
1: think with McCutchen, you could leave Tavares out if you wanted to. And man, if you just want to go power, you go Schwarber or Mancini. They're both massive power spots. AJ Pollock gets overlooked like crazy. Oh,
2: I love, I love it. I'm loving AJ Pollock now. Yeah, I was going to like include it. him in there, but I feel like uh, his inter. Inter, uh,
1: deviation deviation
2: is not going <laughs> to be
1: great. There's a ton of guys here, though. Like it's 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 crazy just scrolling through this. Like it drops off eventually around 300 or so, but you from like 150 to 300, or even to 350, give or take, at SMS 79, you can make a very quality outfield still. Especially depending on what you need based on your roster construction. Steels aren't as a plenty, but you got Tavares, you got McCutcheon, there's a few other guys. Even John Birdie's here. If you're in a super deep league, you're in a 12-team, so you probably don't need to go to John Birdie, but he's here. Um, There's definite options. Like 12-team league, you can take a few more gambles because of what's on the waiver wire. You can gamble on a Mitch Hanniger at 272. Just saying it. If he's as healthy as people say he is, that's interesting to me. uh, I'm still kind of concerned. I'd love to see him in spring training, but all the early reports are very, very positive there. So that's interesting. Another gamble if things shape up in the preseason – Given it's the Rockies, Sam Hilliard at three twenty one is uh, another one you could take a a gander on. But there's 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 a lot down here, a lot to uh, to play with for sure. Gregory Polanco going around eighty
2: p of four hundred.
1: I don't draft Gregory Polanco. Oh,
2: dude, I'm all over no.
1: that. I know year. you do. You like you and Justin. It. No, um, at Eric Samolsky asked, who's your preferred speed outfielder for later in the draft? Some guys like Birdie Leotis, VR. I think Leotis, pretty Leotis, much. Leotis, yeah, good. for yeah. sure.
2: Yeah, yeah. There's there's Leotis and um Locaine, You know, you gotta you gotta be a little conservative on that estimate for stolen bases, given age and that he didn't play. But um, yeah, there's some later guys too. I mean, the thing is, like Kevin Kiermeier. You know, it sounds like horrendous to go there, but um, you know, he's he's a very clear platoon guy there as well, and so. If it's and Manny, Manny Margot, you know, yeah, as well. Like Manny he was to the bases like like crazy. So you get one of those guys in your in your team. Going, he's just going higher in draft. It scares me. But yeah, yeah he is going pretty high. But like Kiermeyer's going after pick four hundred, I think, and yep. you know when he's gonna play. And so if he's going up against four right-handed pitchers in that first half of the week or three second half of the week, you can just throw him in there and you know you're at least given a chance and he's not going to necessarily hurt you too badly in power either. So it, batting average is a different story.
1: And it, two other long shot stolen base guys that have the potential to break out. Uh, you'll see the name a lot. Edward Oliveras for Kansas city with uh, that situation could be interesting. And the other one, I was just looking at Oscar Mercado, if you're believing in that. Oh yes. That That's spot. a really good shout
2: Mercado. I've, I've been drafting him a little bit lately lately and um, Anthony Alford and Brian Goodwin as well on the Pirates. Whichever one of those guys
1: gets um that okay. last
2: outfield spot there, I
1: think could be really interesting. Uh Marty Tallman asks thoughts on Corey and Alex Dickerson. I love Corey Dickerson from a batting average aspect. Maybe score some runs. Powers is what it is. Not going to steal a ton. Alex Dickerson, if you played every day, I'd be a hundred percent on board. I still like him strong side of a platoon, but just know Kepler will play the game, even even with probably one of his best hitters.
2: Yeah, I agree on D- on Alex Dickerson, and also don't forget to factor in that that there is no DH. Yeah, and so the Giants, or at least at this point in time, there's no DH, and yeah. that means tough things for a lot of the Giants hitters. Um, honestly, like there's just a ton of questions there. Um, Dickerson, you know they, you know is fine. Yeah, batting average wise, um, uh, he's helpful. And you know doesn't hit for a ton of pop or steal bases. It's a little empty. Terrible That's OBP because he swings at everything. Um. So yeah, I'm like I'm not into him. I don't really draft him, but I could see the value of it. All right, that'll wrap us up. Last question. Ooh, we have
1: we have a question in the chat. Oh, sorry. From sorry.
2: FBI defending champion
1: there Kevin Hastings. With platooning becoming more prominent, how many plate appearances are you comfortable with for a regular starter? Assuming catcher is what he's asking for, so because oh, um, that's because outfielder we should be fine. But platooning catcher wise, what are you thinking?
2: Well, I think for I mean for catchers, you know, you just want more than fifty percent of the yeah. playing time. Um, I prefer like
1: sixty five if I could, but that's probably asking too much in some situations.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, But just more generally with it, um, and I think that's actually a really good point for why catchers also have more value now is because there's fewer guys that get the bulk, right? So it really is a differentiating factor. But I think generally, I think this is where you can grind out a lot of value in other positions is by um, knowing platoons and planning for platoons and not being caught in a situation where you're missing games because of the platoons. So really it's a situation where I wouldn't necessarily think of it as a particular number of plate appearances that an outfielder is going to get me over the course of a season, but much more really on a week to week basis. Um, That's how I'm always thinking about the plate appearances for those guys. Cause I'm assuming if they're platooning, they're not that good, right? Like, if they're, if they're good, then they play every single day. And so you're probably talking about an outfielder after pick 200 or something like that. In that particular instance, I'm trying to maximize the grind. I'm trying to maximize the plate appearances from that guy's good side. And then maybe I'm trying to pair him with somebody else, you know, who maybe isn't as good, but has a good matchup that week, or maybe he wasn't as good, but plays every day. And so I can have that guy in when this guy's on the wrong side of the platoon too much that week. And, I can have the other guy in. And then you combine their totals and it's magic.
1: Yep. No, I'm 100% with you. I think that's, that's one reason why, like you said, you pay up for catcher. So you don't have to worry about that situation. Otherwise, it gets dicey. And that's why, again, once again, you get the likes of Stasi and Diaz and Stallings late that are the prominent catchers. And they're going super late in drafts. You get those at-bats, which is very, very big. So I'm with you there. Like you said, outfield you're going to get most starters for a little while there. If not, you fill positions of need for stats at that point in time. So thanks for the question, Kevin. Always. Thanks for the people joining us in the chat, having some fun with us on a Tuesday night. Uh, Any final thoughts on our outfield catcher review preview? No, I I enjoyed it thoroughly.
2: I enjoyed talking about catchers and outfielders. Um, It was a lot of fun as, as usual. Thanks for all the great questions um, from our listeners. Always appreciative of, of them,
1: yep, always good stuff. Um, you can see Toby on Saturday at PitchCon giving a presentation on rolling graphs. I will be on Friday evening at uh, eight Eastern, five Pacific, doing a panel with Scott Pianowski, Max Greenfield, and Drew Silva, uh, formerly of Roto World, of now NBC Sports Edge. So come check all that stuff out. But PitchCon starts on Thursday. Thursday. Yep. Yeah, Thursday through Sunday. It's four days this this year raising money for good causes. So come check all that stuff out. Lots of awesome stuff. Pitcherless 6.0 launched today on Tuesday. And there's the whole link that shows you all the cool stuff for PitchCon on there. So go check all that out. And big news, um, which I have to mention
2: is I'm the defending champion of the Friday night poker hosts only poker tournament. Um, So that's going to be a really big, um, you know, that's going to be a really big
1: title. title. I have to defend on Friday. I might I might have to see if I can finagle my way in there. We'll see. We'll see. You should, might. You should. We'll see if I can we'll see. We'll see what I can do. I if might you have to. beat me I'll be really sad. So as I you I probably won't. As, as you, go, in as you go into
2: the pot, just think about how sad you could make me if you beat me.
1: Okay. <laughs> what uh, I, I, I like my opponents
2: to think about uh, while they're going up against me in poker is how sad I'll be if
1: if coming, coming from the coming from the silent assassin trash talker in in the dms like this guy makes you feel sorry for him be the nicest guy on the planet and boom hits you with the jab like this is what toby does watch out folks Gotta Watch out. we're in philadelphia rocky it's all right there it's oh. all coming together um, oh man can we
2: throw in some rocky
1: music in the podcast
2: now like like what uh, tiger, man. Uh, oh, which is hilarious because my kids my um uh, my oldest my seven-year-old is super into eye of the tiger awesome. and so they'll like play it on repeat over and over and over again and <laughs> dance to it which is just something else
1: something oh man else. it could be worse it could be worse so that yeah. uh, that's good but everybody yeah check out toby on twitter at BatflipCrazy. crazy all the good PitchCon stuff coming up this weekend we'll be back with you guys on next tuesday i'm on twitter at BdEntric. but uh thanks for listening bubba and the Batflip episode 71 catch you guys later